There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome to another thrilling episode of Disaster Porn here at Max Mike Movies. Today we've got another entry from that master of subtlety, that master blaster of disaster, Roland Emmerich, the man who sits on your chest, writes the message of his movie backwards on his fist, and then pummels you until the message is embossed all over your face. (laughs) So far he's hit us with evil aliens in ID4. His protege, Dean Devlin, showed the evils of satellite control in Geostorm, and now Roland shows us the ultimate world-destroying monster, the weather. But it's not really the weather's fault. It doesn't mean to step on people. It's just lonely. Even weather gets lonely sometimes. No, the innocent weather has been corrupted by global warming. This is from 2004, before global warming was rebranded as climate change. So who is the true monster? Man! What a twist! Eat your heart out, M. Night Shyamalan. And it all takes place the day after tomorrow. So, um... Update your travel plans accordingly. Hmm, so we're doing the show on Thursday, but it goes up on Monday, so either Saturday or Wednesday are going to be a bit of a mess. Dress accordingly on both days, and watch out for wolves. I'm your slightly frozen host, Max Levine, and over there, thawing slowly on a hot plate, is your host, Mike Luce. Look out, Mike! The cold air is right behind you! <gasps> Run! Oh, I can't get away fast enough! <laughs> But before we start running away from things that aren't there, we first have to run towards our poll question. Smack. Ow! (laughs) You dope. I ran into the Ice Age. I know you did. (laughs) Poll question. So last time we asked you, do you like your disaster porn intimate? You know, one vehicle, one building, or gigantic on the planetary scale? Nick Hoffman says, it really depends. Way to take a stand there, Nick. Oh, be nice. (laughs) I I was a big fan of the original Poseidon Adventure, but I was five then, so (laughs) duh. I also guilty pleasure enjoyed Independence Day, mainly for the disaster porn effects. So, both, I guess. Uh, Adam Marks, much more declarative, big is best. (laughs) That's what she said. Wait, that doesn't work. Um, No. But it depends on how it is filmed. Sometimes it's just so big, it just gets ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry. Two th- as in 2012. I assume he means the movie and not the year. But Oh, you mean big with Tom Hanks? <laughs> that, oh, that one? Not that one, oh, no. Okay. But done well, foreshadowing, build-up, etc. Big is great. Independence Day, Armageddon. Armageddon? Really? Hey, everybody okay, has the okay. films they like and don't like. We yep, are not here true. to judge people. Films, yes, but people, no. Unless they're in films, in which case, then... Go ahead. Jamie Cl- <laughs> yep, Jamie Kleinert says, I don't think I'm a fan of either, question mark. I mean, the disaster scenes in Avengers movies are my least favorite. I didn't like uh, ID4, never interested in Armageddon or Day After Tomorrow or Volcano or any of those. Yeah, that's, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and I don't really know why. I struggle with suspension of disbelief in those uh, moments, tropes, movies, but there's more to it than that. Even when reading, I I started reading the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jemisin and struggled getting through that with the disaster scenario that frames the first book. 
Me too. The story and characters were amazingly written and I liked it, but couldn't get into the now part of the story as I went through it. Interesting. Hmm. I appreciate that she answered the question when it wasn't even something she's interested in. So that's yeah. that's double cool. Val Coons, overlord of Q Footsteps, <laughs> de- says, Depends on my mood, really. To me, single disasters are character and relationship-driven. Gigantic are more effects-driven. Hmm. If mm-hmm. I want to care about the characters, then I'll go to, for Poseidon Adventure or Airport. If I just want to see stuff destroyed, I'll probably pull out a nice Godzilla or other kaiju film. Tokyo hasn't been destroyed enough yet. <laughs> deeply, deeply true. They keep building it up again. Well, I, they're the ones who tend to make it go bye-bye, so... <laughs> bye, Brian, Brian Mundo says, Oh, planetary! The These final hours is a great one. I don't know that one. Me either. We'll have to look into that. Mm. And from the disastrously cold north... Burr. Vince, a.k.a. Snowball, writes... <laughs> Snowy! Whatever. Uh, and actually, he's not a.k.a. anything. We just do that to him because we're mean. <laughs> yeah, well. Normally, I want over-the-top destruction in my disaster films, but not long ago, I watched the film Melancholia. Oh, boy. Which was centered on a small, rich family on their estate as a rogue planet almost misses the Earth, and I really liked the limited point of view. We don't see cities destroyed or any action scenes, just reaction from a small group. I don't think many other people liked it, but it was a nice change of pace for a disaster movie for me. I did see that, and he's right. It's really well done. It's just really, as the name might suggest, really depressing. Oh, melancholy isn't Latin for happy fun time? Uh, you would think so, but no. Oh, I guess I don't know my Latin that well. But uh, what, what, what do you say? Uh, how do you feel about it? Do uh, you like your uh, destruction large scale or small scale? I think if I'm going for disaster porn, as the you know title might suggest, I want it big and juicy. Uh, if you're going to blow stuff up, blow stuff up. If I want a drama, then I'll go for... Towering Inferno, potentially, yeah. Poseidon Adventure, stuff like that, because those are really more interested in the reaction to the disaster amongst a small group of people. I'm not saying that giant films like today's don't try and do the same thing, but it's also in the meantime, they're going, boom, boom, look at this, look at this. Okay, now pay attention to these people. Boom, yeah, boom. It's kind of jarring that way. So I, if I want to see stuff blowed up and blowed up real good, real good. Then I want big. How about you? Again, in terms of disaster porn, bigger is better. I, I do like, uh, yeah, that's what she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do like the large scale. If I want to just wallow in watching buildings collapse and, and mass destruction, woohoo, mass destruction, uh, then I want it large scale. I want it at least citywide. So you want Batman v Superman? It, it now in Superior Court over the <laughs> over the loan of a lawnmower. Yeah, Dustin pretty Hoffman much. did a great job in that movie. Boy, that's oh, yeah. a stretch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, thank you very much for those answers. They were very cool, and we liked them so much. We want more, more. We're never satisfied here at Max Bike Movies. We're not. So we've got a new poll question, and this Ooh. is just much more. This is off topic, off the disasters, but something I realized we've never asked. What is your favorite documentary film? I'm I, curious. Hmm. Nonfiction. So documentary meaning it has to be real. It has to be real. It has to be something that is exploring real or believed real events. So So Spinal Tap doesn't 
Spinal Tap, no, mockumentaries doesn't count, but I don't know, In Search of Historic Jesus or In Search of <laughs> Noah's Ark, sure, That's why a not? sun classic. Yep, yep. <laughs> For those of us who actually went and saw those. <sighs> sure, documentary. Yep. And uh, the best way to answer that is at the end of the show. At the end of the show, because it's a secret. But before yeah, that, after 229 episodes, it's a secret. Big we, secret. The last thing we want is people to actually answer our poll questions. Exactly. But, but um, until then, we've got trivia. Ooh. Yeah. The facts. Budget. 125 million simoleons. Yeah. Worldwide take. How much you think? 125 million simoleons. Nope. <laughs> Try 552 million. Really? This thing made over half a billion dollars. Oh, it's one of the know, reasons par- people kept giving Roland Emmerich scripts. Uh, part of that is my fault. I think I did see this. In the as as did I. We'll come ah. back to that. Yeah. <laughs> we have only ourselves to blame. And this oh, one, this or is, congratulate. We don't know. Yeah. This one. This one's a double, a one-two punch because he not only directed it, he's one of the writers. Uh, he produced it too. He did indeed. He wasn't smart enough to spread Trip. the blame around. He did not just spread like the blame. Edward. <laughs> yep. Uh, in 2008, Yahoo Movies listed this movies as one of the top ten most scientifically inaccurate movies of all time. What? Okay, let's deal with some of this right now. Okay, but don't. The take I, away my notes. One of the biggest effect things is the sudden freezing of everyone because allegedly the eye of the superstorm draws super cooled air down from the upper troposphere. That's the that they say, and it's stated for the reason that people are instantly frozen. The air temperature in the upper troposphere is around minus seventy one degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty cold. Even at the most extreme, it does not fall below one hundred and twelve degrees Fahrenheit also known as March in Minnesota. <laughs> At that temperature, people do not instantly freeze, and buildings don't either. Now, here's a, there is a place in, in Siberia, in Siberian Russia, where weather freezes you. Uh, 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 uh. And I'm going to get the name pronounced wrong. It's Oymyakon has the record for the coldest permanently inhabited place on Earth when it dropped to minus 97 Fahrenheit. So, in other words, that's a, that's the weather when the Minnesotans button the top button on their sweater. Oh, it's ding dang cold today. Oh, you know? sure, it's a bit cold, but it's nothing like the winter of '74. Oh, crepes! Oh, was a, that was a bad one. Eh? Yeah, nobody was killed by that cold snap. In order to instantly freeze, by the way, you need a medium that has really good heat transference. Spoiler alert: air doesn't. <laughs> Well, see, I thought the whole idea was that it was literally sucking the cold from space. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Okay. Also, they talk about the super cold hurricanes. The fact that they're like hurricanes forming over land, but that can't happen. Yeah. Hurricanes are formed by warm, moist air. I'm going to say that again. Warm, moist air. Oh, Max, this just in? <laughs> yeah, that's why they get all that energy is from heat. Heat is energy. Cold is not. Mm. Uh, I don't know. 20th century frog, sorry, fox invited <laughs> a group of scientists to preview this movie to test their reactions <laughs> to the science used. Wow. This will come as some a, knobs. <laughs> a huge surprise. None of the scientists were impressed with what they saw, although most conceded that the movie was enjoyable nonsense. 
Uh, wow. The consultation by NASA scientists were request, was requested before filming this movie, but NASA stated that the events in the movie were too ridiculous to actually occur and denied the request. <laughs> Seriously, you know, yeah. I gotta give it up to 20th Century Fox because that really that just takes some nerve. Man. It really does. <laughs> Think about it. By 2021, enough real-world extreme once-in-a-lifetime meteorological and natural events had occurred around the world to pretty much completely prove the lack of science in this movie. One of the big ones is several countries had by the 2020 suffered tsunamis. Mm. The real tsunamis had immense destructive force, more than enough to knock over large buildings. And they were comparatively small in terms of wave height compared to the one in this movie, which just sort of washes around all the fragile skyscrapers. Mm. Yeah, interestingly, too, uh, today, as we record this, there is a blizzard warning for Los Angeles. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's not tornadoes. We'll get to no, that. No, but yeah. it's still a blizzard, which... Uh, how does that, um, yeah. yeah. What other trivia hast thou? Yeah. The river crossing scene at the Mexico, the U.S.-Mexico border, that's really the Rio Grande. They're, the extras were, in fact, crossing into Mexico, and therefore, I guess, could technically be considered an invasion force. Um, well, it's not very grande at that point. No, it's, it? rather, it's rather pico at that point. But. Ah, the Rio puddle. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in the shot that shows the front of the New York Public Library, we see lamps instead of the iconic lions. I can't imagine why. According to the New York City Public Library employees, the studio didn't want to pay the fee for filming the statues, which are a trademark of the institution. Because, sure, you're spending $125 billion, you can't spend another, what, 50 bucks to get the rights to shoot the damn lions. Why not? Mm. In the very first scene of this movie, and here's where there's one small piece of actual science. A portion of the Larson B ice shelf in Antarctica breaks off. At the ensuing climate conference, Dr. Hall, or Jack, tells the vice president that the last piece of the ice shelf to break off was the size of Rhode Island. This is based on something that actually happened between 2002 and 2003 when an area of that actual ice shelf about the size of Rhode Island progressively collapsed. It didn't just go, <laughs> it took about a year, but it did happen. At least they didn't show it sinking. That would have been bad. Yeah, that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> Ice, as you know, sinks in water. <laughs> the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, managed to get their hands on a copy of the movie script during its pre-production. The two of them planned to secretly shoot the same movie with puppets instead of actors, word for word, and release it on the same day. They gave up on this when their lawyer convinced them that such a move would never get released. Damn! I would have paid double to see that. <laughs> I totally would have gone to see that. Absolutely. And hopefully it would have made me feel less uncomfortable than the sex scene in uh, Team America. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about marionettes, but that the wood <laughs> bonking up against each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are a number of scenes in the cold scenes where you can see the actors and actresses' breath that's all CGI. They decided it was more practical rather than freezing the set. Well, and they leave it out of most of the film. Oops. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the movie was originally scripted with Sam and his friends as 11-year-olds. 
Uh, Roland huh? Emmerich changed them to high school students, specifically for Jake Gyllenhaal, who Emmerich had seen in, in October Sky in 99. Oh, yeah. Emmerich asked, can Jake Gyllenhaal play a 17-year-old? He was 24 at the time. We'll answer that question later on. Yeah. The production team had some doubts about having a major disaster hit New York City, especially fairly soon after 9-11, three years after. Mm. When it played in the Big Apple, audience were whooping light with delight when the city was hit by the tidal wave. They were cheering. They were laughing. <laughs> they loved it. What a weird reaction, except I remember doing the same thing in uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidra and Boston <laughs> is being... Because I'm like, wait, yep. they're, they're staging a Godzilla film in Fenway Park? That's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a celebrity cameo in this. Kirsten Dunst is in this movie. She's standing behind Sam, right near his elbow, with her sweater pulled up over her nose and mouth when uh, Sam's calling his father and mentioning that the sewer is backed up in the school. Uh, yep. why? Why not? <laughs> okay. By the way, at one point we see um, Sam's dad, Jack, Dennis Quaid, walk from Philadelphia to New York City. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, uh, that would, according to Google Maps, so it must be true, we're doing that on, uh, on the best possible day and the best conditions would take about 30 hours straight. Okay. The walk would probably take about three to five days depending on the fitness of the walker. Add mm. the uh, snow and the weather, it would take a long time. How long would it take for Walker, Texas Ranger? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's Chuck Norris, New York would simply get up and walk over to him. Hey, ho, ho. Hmm. Uh, while filming the, the tsunami scene when uh, Gyllenhaal is using the phone and he's uh, underwater, he really had to pee. And he couldn't well, wait, so he just peed in the water tank. Who would care? Yeah. <laughs> and like he's the first to do that. Yeah. He, he's like, well, at least I'm warm now. Uh, Emmy Rossum <laughs> accepted the role of Laura after, get this, Lindsay Lohan had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Yeah, scheduling conflicts. Boo-hoo. This uh, was the first time that Rossum stepped into a role originally meant for Lohan, but it happened again in 2006 with the remake of the Poseidon Adventure. Ah, Poseidon. Poseidon. Apparently there's no adventure. Oh, well. The casting of Kenneth Walsh as the vice president was kind of controversial, and I'm sure you missed this because it's incredibly subtle. He has a slight physical resemblance to former vice president Dick Cheney. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing the movie and going, did they actually get shit? No, they couldn't have. Uh, and I'll explain why later. Uh, Roland Emmerich insisted on it for that reason, admitting that the characters of the president the vice president were intended to be criticisms of the Bush-Cheney administration's opposition to the Kyoto Protocol for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And God knows, Roland is nothing if not subtle. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. That, there's well, a lot of other stuff, kind of but uh, did. <laughs> I think that'll cover it. But I'm hoping that you can yeah. tell us an amazing story, because that's uh, why we're here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the plot. Yes. A scientific research team of scientists doing science in Antarctica noticed something suspicious scientifically when one of them breaks the South Pole. Whoopsie doodle! <laughs> Handsome scientist Jack... Dennis Quaid, has to use all of his handsomeness to try to convince the silly government types who are not supposed to resemble anyone who might have been in the White House in 2004 that climate change is bad and it's going to freeze all our helicopters and stuff. But no one believes him. Oh, noes! 
That is, until bizarre computer-generated disaster weather begins beating up on the U.S. of A. and other places, but they're not really important. Jack must confer with Professor Bilbo Baggins and his British justice pals, who for some reason are the only other people on the planet who figured out what's going on. We are under attack by the cunning villain Global Warming. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, Jack's high school-age son, <coughs> sure, Sam, played by Jack Gelatinous, Hey. Jake Gelatin, excuse me. His be- his sassy black best friend Brian, RJ Smith, and Sam's crush Laura, Emmy Rossum, the only one of the three who is actually a teenager, are in New York City for an academic decathlon, which is totally a real thing and not just a big trivia contest. There they meet rich boy DJ, who rightly decides that Laura is the hottest nerd at this nerd fest, and uh uh-oh, Sam has some utterly needless romantic competition that sort of just goes away. (laughs) Then suddenly, Dr. Global Warming unleashes its nefarious super cold storm, and man, is everyone in a pickle. People are being flash frozen, books are being burned, wolves are roaming the streets of New York, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria! But... Handsome scientist Jack is going to get to his son even if he has to hike from Philly to New York. Will he get there in time before Dr. Global Warming catches up with Sam and he and his friends run down a corridor trying to escape cold, I guess? Tune in and find out, well, now. The Film Wow, you uh, you can't do that unbiased, can you? (laughs) I tried, I really did. No, you didn't. You didn't try at all. I did. I just threw that one away. Uh, right. My well, first thought, opening scene, ah, Scott of the Antarctic. <laughs> I gotta fight the lion. Well, I didn't even get that far. I said, ooh, there's a storm over the credits. That means they're serious. <laughs> uh, let's do the actors, because mm. uh, that's a thing. Yeah, sure. And it won't take long. Oops. Um, <laughs> so Dennis Quaid continues to do his best Harrison Ford impersonation. Otherwise, Hello. he's he's I'm fine. I'm a handsome scientist. He just I don't I honestly don't know if he did this on purpose or it just worked out that way. It's sort of like Christian Slater not doing Jack Nicholson, but he yeah. still kind of does. I have, except in Breaking Away, the only film I can think of that does not make me uh, uh, think of Harrison Ford. To me, Dennis Quaid is always oh crap, our budget is all this time. Oh, we can't afford Harrison. Hey, is that Quaid guy around? No, no, not Randy, the other one. Yeah, not Randy. <laughs> Whatever, not Randy. Yep, yep. I just he just feels to me like a cut rate Harrison Ford. He does, He's, except with less charisma, and it's just not that interesting. And they just kind of, the way they slap. Well, that's plot, not acting. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah, um, he's adequate. Yeah, Celia Ward as as uh, Doctor Nice Lady is um, poor. You there. jumping ahead. Well, so all right, she. I, I have a list of people. She's one of whom the entire note for her was see above. And this is <laughs> this is actually referring to what I wrote down to uh, Emmy. Emmy? Emmy Rossum, yeah. Emmy Rossum. I wrote, she has so little to do, it's hard to tell if she's any good as an actor or not. And then I had a bunch of people below that just says, see above, see above, (laughs) see above. And Celia Warwood's one of those. It's like, oh, she's the mom, and she's concerned, and they're divorced. We think. Yeah. Okay. You you jumped right past old Jake. I'm kind of surprised. Let's get this Uh, out of the way. Oh, yeah, Jake Delatinus Hall. So how do you feel about him playing a high school student? <laughs> He's, oh, God. Now, I mean, I know they do this all the time. They have 20-somethings play uh, 
high school students. But the thing is, he actually looks older than 24 in this movie. Yeah. And I, he, he's not convincing at all as a teenager. He's trying no. to do the sort of adorkable, I have no idea how handsome I actually am thing. Yeah, but. or athletic or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he's got that little smirk, which, to be fair, has taken him a long way. Um, besides his not being high school age, he's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, this is not one of Jake's better parts. This one we're, they try to make us care about the characters so hard. Yeah. And it's hard because we don't get much time, and it's like, okay, you you like them now. Understood? Yeah. And, and oh, look, they're having daddy problems. Uh, yes, more okay. daddy issues. Oh, boy. I love my daddy, but he's never around for me. Let's make a giant cold front and tell a story about it. Yeah, you know, they kind of undercut that with the whole... Oh, why? Why did you dedicate yourself so much to science instead of, you know, your family? Well, because this is I'm saving half the world. You're trying to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for Jake, this is no Prince of Persia, but, you know, you can't always <laughs> go back and rest on your laurels. Yeah, uh, uh, Jake, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a very good actor. He's done some really good stuff. You know, Donnie this, Darko, bunch of stuff. This isn't one of them. This is not one of them. Again, Prince of Persia. Yeah. Dash Mihawk, Mahawk, I don't know how to pronounce it, he plays a character named Jason that we literally know nothing about except his name's Jason. And he's he's a load. I Basically, guess. Yeah, Dennis just drags him along with him a lot. But uh, they luckily have Frank, played by J.O. Sanders, to help. And um, see He's above. there, <laughs> and he's tall. Yeah, and apparently we find out eventually that he's been working with Jack, the most obvious yeah. hero name next to, I don't know, Chunk, ever, <laughs> and it's been 20 years. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, thanks for throwing that in there. Now yeah, we have literally one fact about this guy, and it's only having to do with Dennis Quaid. And we have Tamlin Tamita, who is completely wasted. She gets nothing to do. She's the NASA scientist who's like, I think you're right. By the Max. way, I'm hot. She plays a very important role. Oh, really? She is the token Asian person. Oh! Yeah, it's yeah, no, it's true. She <laughs> Sorry, is, did that come out? Except for, except for the Japanese guy who dies in the beginning, whose name we don't know and says no lines in English. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Well, She's pretty much it. No, the best actor in this is Ian Holm. And his presence is there because he's Ian Holm, but there's just not much of him there. The problem um, is he and his two pals, they're my favorite characters in this movie. And they're all they adorable. Do, the they sit in a shed and freeze to death drinking scotch. That's but literally all that happens to one's them. One's a soccer fan. I mean, he, and he supports okay. Manchester United, and that's most of his does. identity. And the other one has, has, has a newborn kid and has just sent his wife off and is terrified what's going to happen to them. Oh, like the guy in the uh, the core with the, the French guy with the, the, kind the of, French yeah. drawings. Yeah. It's like, we feel bad because we know he has a kid. Yeah, Max, what's his name? Uh, The no black guy. <laughs> sorry, that's. <laughs> I thought that that was R.J. Smith's uh, character. Uh, no, he, oh, sorry, RJ, the uh, English yeah, black guy. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ian Holm doesn't do a bad job, but he's got nothing Ian, to do. Ian Holm can't do a bad job. You know, he's amazing. But yeah, he has. I, I think he's actually kind of touching. Even that one line, even when uh, Jack says to him, "I think it's time you get out of there," and he just says very calmly, "That time has been and gone, my friend." Yeah, I thought that was very touching. That's one of one of the only moving moments of the movie. I thought where I actually cared about a kid. It's like I was sorry he was going to die. The rest of North America, not so much. 
I, you know, and to that uh, point, my last note in the cast notes was, and the rest, because that's, <laughs> the, who cares? Yeah, um, yeah. We have Vice President Cheney. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Vice President looks like Kenneth, Kenneth Welsh. Looks like Cheney. Um, and President Chunk Slabjaw. Who, does, who looks ever so slightly <laughs> like W. Well, I guess, except it's like, oh, we've elected a linebacker. No, who no, is? he did. He was picked because he looked like George W. Bush. I didn't get George W. Bush at all from him. He, was, he looked much more like somebody who was going to be a big, boring, two-dimensional superhero. Like, you know, head of steel, bright brain of steel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, he just, and he has like one line. He goes, but something basically like, huh, get on that. I mean, literally, <laughs> this is the president of the United States and you, you have, you care negatively about him. You don't hate yeah, him. You yeah. just, it's instantly forget him. And that's a great quality to have in somebody playing the president. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, when he dies off screen, it's just sort of like, huh. Well, that happened. Well, and there's a lot of this film that happens off screen. Yeah. Um, or we get pictures of it from space, which really makes us feel bad about it. It's like, huh. It's literally two astronauts looking out the window of the ISS going, huh, never seen that many clouds before. How about you, Fred? <laughs> no, me neither. Huh, what do you think about that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, think we're stuck up here? You know, oh, there, hmm, there's some you don't see that. every day, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, Chauncey. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. Um, luckily, though, and of course, Max, you will remember this. Uh -huh. After this film, global warming <laughs> is never a problem never. again. Nope, just totally <laughs> gone, and everything is wonderful forever. I, I will give Thank Emmerich you, this. Thank you, Roland Emmerich. I, I will give Emmerich this. He does seem, in this moment, sincere about the subject. Yeah. And he is pointing the finger in more or less the right place. That being said... I don't want to know what the carbon footprint of this film was, oh boy, nor yeah. how much he profited from that. So, and it was very prescient. It's just, um, well, the um, science was um, way off absent <laughs> that day. Um, we do get some opening uh, weather issues. Uh, the giant hailstones, which are obviously literally just big chunks of ice carved off bigger chunks of ice and just winged <laughs> into the set. Yeah. Because they don't look like hailstones at all. Nope. Hailstones, surprisingly, are fairly either round or oval. Well, that's because it's like a drop of water and yep. then more water, and it freezes, then water f collects on that like an onion. So that's why they're round. They don't literally yeah, look yeah. like the Iceman was just here. <laughs> But Emmerich does love his big hail zone, so He does. And the, the tornado sequence. This is, again, one of the things that Roland Emmerich loves to do is he likes to destroy really obvious, well-known things. Because that immediately, it's like, oh, okay, it's visual shorthand. It's like, you should be upset because there's a thing you know being destroyed. The Hollywood sign gets tornadoed out. The yep. Capitol Records building gets trashed. Yep. The Angeline billboard kills somebody. <laughs> That's for Val. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know about you, but I could tell that when those birds started flying around, we had perfect conditions for a birdemic. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Except the birds were too well rendered. Yeah. The whole, the LA part of it where we have these, you know, sudden 
um, mating tornadoes because <laughs> there are two tornadoes who love each other very much. <laughs> Ew, gosh, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. It is so dangerous and important that nameless experts are called out of bed. That's right. And one of them, I can't believe somebody actually says this. They show the Hollywood sign being sucked up into nothing. They show these tornadoes going down major arteries and cars and stuff. And somebody literally says, is anyone hurt? Well, did you notice what news network we were watching? Well, of course we were, because that's who made the film. Yeah. We're watching Fox News. So, yeah. Yeah, Is anybody hurt? (laughs) Asha, I don't see, and the guy's response is, I don't see how they couldn't be. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, it's, and they destroy things. Now, here's the thing. You point out that they destroy big um, landmarks and stuff like that. We talked earlier about, in uh, one of the films, and I can't remember which one, where we were like, why are you destroying a bunch of buildings we don't know what they are or where they are or care? And so I'm actually on the side of destroying the Hollywood sign or <laughs> uh, the Capitol Records building. You heard it here first, folks. Mike hates the Hollywood sign and wants it to be destroyed by tornadoes. Well, the Hollywood sign was put up there for a land development deal. It had yeah. nothing to do with movie making. And it originally said Hollywood Land. And I think it was a subdivision, a big subdivision. And basically, it's like the Sitco sign in Boston. It's like, <laughs> is Sitco still a presence in Boston? No, Not really. but we're going to keep that sign because we're used to it. Okay. So I have no problem with them destroying it. But it still, it represents literally a bunch of houses. Uh, yeah, Chunk Square Jaw was our president. Uh, I do want to point out to the science question: planetary climate shifts don't happen on Tuesday. <laughs> well, they might start on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, because it really is just like, hey, the weather's changing in about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and things they- happen remarkably fast and then stop very quickly. Yeah, and in the, the whole opening of the film, I found kind of muddled because we have. The the break off of the uh, ice shelf, which conveniently happens literally next to the tent of Dennis Quaid. Yeah, li- yeah, like literally at his feet. Yeah. Like, well, how about that? But thankfully, he ran across the opening gap and saved the ice samples. Yes, I my note there is, Jack is dumb. <laughs> Jack, you're a jerk. <laughs> because. It, what is it? Oh, it's evidence of climate change. You're really not going to need Look those. Look down! <laughs> Take a picture! And we're supposed to be all excited. Is he going to make the jump? It's the star of the film. And it's the opening scene. They don't kill him off in the, in that, in the first ten minutes. No. No. Maybe if the nameless people with him, which might have been Jason and um, Frank. I, I, I couldn't tell. They were so bundled up. Maybe it was the same people no, later there on. Was. It, it was. It was Jason and Frank. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of them had died there. May I, I might have carried... Because later on, Frank, the, I'll, I'll let you guys go. I'm just hanging here in the middle of space. Yes, I will he, cut my line and die so you can walk He does to- a Commander Oates thing from the, the uh, Scott expedition and takes his own life rather than uh, endanger the mission. Yeah, and then he dies off screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yep. was weird, but okay. And let's talk about... Okay, so the storms come. Yeah. And they come together. And I got to say, even more so than another film, this is a geostorm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a global storm, although we don't see much of the rest of it anywhere else except New York and Los Angeles and Tokyo yeah. for about a minute. 
Yeah, well, well that's when they're hucking ice onto the, yeah, onto the yeah. set and hitting some poor businessman in the head. We hear about it. It's like, oh, yeah, Australia had the biggest typhoon ever. We're not going to show you, but uh, to- yeah. trust us, it totally did. Yeah, somehow $125 million doesn't go very far in this Strangely film. enough, no. Because, like, i got to say, the second half of the film mostly takes place inside the New York Public <laughs> Library. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a whole odd secret. That does have one of the funnier, li- the only funny lines, I thought, when uh, Brian is trying to fix the uh, radio, and uh-huh. one of the, poli- the the cop comes over and tells him, uh, maybe we should have someone else look at that, and he goes... Sir, I'm president of the electronics club, the chess club, and the math club. If there's a bigger nerd here, point him out. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's not bad. Well, that, and, and that's, that's it. Hmm? I was going to say, that's good because um, Brian will just suddenly not be in the movie anymore. Like, we just don't see him. Oh, sure we do. He just doesn't get to talk. <laughs> that's not entirely unlike be- not being in the film. <laughs> Um, I mean, because he's there because he's black. Let's face it. This is, I mean, sure, snow is white, but that doesn't mean the cast has to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's also there's also the why the witty, wacky homeless guy, oh, God. Uh, Luther. He has a sure. name, by the way. I only know that from the credits. Yeah, because mm. I don't think anyone ever call. Uh, no one ever asks him what his name is. Well, that's. I'm sure it's meant to be a commentary on yeah. how we treat the homeless. Or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the whole opening of the film. Starts out with the the cracking the ice shelf, and then it gets kind of muddled. We have this summit in India, and Dennis Quaid meets Ian Holm, who's there for reasons, um, because otherwise he lives in a small hut in Scotland with two other men drinking scotch when it gets cold. Then Holm leaves and goes back to Scotland, I guess, and then we focus on marital issues. (laughs) And I don't quite know what... They love doing that. I remember that from that Dustin Hoffman movie, Contagion. It's like, okay, we're going to have this whole real dramatic thing about uh, diseases, and then this guy's home life. And I suppose it's to humanize them, but... Well, I... It feels so shoehorned. It does. And it's like, right as they're about to start talking about the main point of the film, which I assumed was the climate change, but apparently it's can... It, let's just get it out of the way. Only an ice age could bring father and son together. Yeah. It's trying to give us a reason to care about the characters, and they're doing it in like literally the first thing anybody thought of. Oh, they're divorced, and the, they have a son, and they're having yeah. trouble. Okay. Yeah, There's they, nothing new. And they, try to, they, they throw in these things that are supposed to humanize the story, try to bring it down to an easily graspable level. Like uh, Doctor Nice Lady is is dealing with a, with. I'm sorry, I have it in my notes. I know it's offensive, but I keep referring to him as Cancer Boy. Well, we, do we know anything about him except his he's name, got cancer? His name is Peter. His, he, his name's Peter. He can't read, but he really likes the book Peter Pan. Okay, that's it. And they leave him be. He's let gets left behind during the rapture, I guess, when everyone leaves the hospital. <laughs> and Doctor Celia Ward says, "No, I will stay with him." Which, by the way, I know this is kind of cold-blooded, but that was unbelievably selfish of her. If you think about it, okay, the largest humanitarian crisis in the history of the world is happening right now. They're going to need every doctor they can get their hands on. You're going to stay behind and die with this kid who is probably not going to survive anyway. Mm. The hell are you thinking? Well... It shows us how uh, brave she was. And how much she cares. 
and how much she cares. And we have this. And honestly, what does the kid add to the film? I'm going to go with nothing. Yeah. He is, it's really kind of offensive, quite honestly, because they're taking a kid with cancer and saying, hi, you know what? You're just a plot device. You're and not a not character. A, you're not a person. You're a plot he, device. It's, yeah. And he's not even a plot device because the main plot of the film doesn't really have anything to do with them anyway. It's only, he's yeah. left, he's used as a reminder. Yeah. So we can remember that, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Sam, has a, has a mom. And somewhere yeah, she cares much. about somebody. Yeah, yeah, because they can't figure out any other way to, to get that across. Yeah. Again, subtlety not his th- not Mr. Emmerich's thing. Especially, you know, like Mexico has closed its closes its borders because yeah. everyone's trying to get south. Mexico closed its border to the U.S. Get it? Irony? Did you get it? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not sure you got it. Did you get it? Whap whap whap. The one I totally agree with that, especially when they're like, uh, it doesn't really mean anything because these people are literally going to walk across the puddle and be in Mexico. <laughs> I will say this for that scene, as as obvious and pummeling as it was, it's not the most pummeling in this film. Yeah. I appreciate the way they portray Mexico because initially Mexico's like, hey, no, were you screw us all this time? The heck with you! But then Mexico says, and admittedly, they get some sort of donate or they get their their, their they get debts. all Latin American debt. Uh, forgiven, which is in the hundreds of billions of dollars. But then they let people in, so mm-hmm. I'll, at least they do that. Uh, I'm not sure we would. Um, no, given the, our, our past, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't. Yeah. Um, luckily, even with all those cyclones in LA, we didn't get a Sharknado, but boy, we, conditions were perfect for that, too. Oh Birdemics boy. and Sharknados, man, the animal kingdom is just out to get us. Yep, yep, especially the wolves of New York. Which I'm pretty sure were never really there. I think they're all CG, even when they're in the cage. Okay, t- I looked this up, by the way. They used real wolves initially at for, for, for body models, but the wolves were just not menacing enough because they were, you know, trained, so they would just, like, walk over to people and sort of sniff their hands. Yeah. So they used them as, like, placeholders and then replaced them with, with CG wolves. The CG wolves in this, I'm sorry, that whole sequence... Let's back up. <laughs> yeah, Laura Emmy Rossum scrapes her leg at one point when uh, up when she's wading through the water. This is perfectly believable, by the way, because she's wading through New York City sewer water. I'm surprised her leg didn't explode. <laughs> she gets blood poisoning, of course. Yeah. yeah, of course you would. I'm surprised everyone wasn't dying of something. Mm. Botulism, the bubonic plague. God knows what was coming up. They've got to get her some antibiotics. Uh, Luckily, fortunately, a Russian trawler has drifted after the flood has drifted down whatever avenue that was, and our city, our New York streets, that really that wide? Could you fit a Russian trawler? I don't know. And they figured the only thing to do is run out onto that trawler and look for their med kits, forgetting apparently they're in the middle of New York City and there are like 500 pharmacies within a block radius. To be fair, those are underwater and frozen at that point. Possibly, because they have to go. They pretty much go up to the top deck. Because otherwise, if they if the ice wasn't that high, I don't know how the wolves would have gotten up. Yeah, there, there is that. All right, that's fair. <laughs> I think and it's even better though. The Russian trawler not only floats by the New York Public Library, it comes to a halt. Right yes, it <laughs> stops just next to them because it hits a buzz or something. Yeah, it so, just happens to be there. And yeah. okay. Never mind that now timber wolves, because that's what they are. It says on the uh, sign at the zoo when they break out. They are more aggressive than most North American wolves. But these are 
wolves that have been living in captivity, and it's only been a few days, and they are probably surrounded by dead bodies that are mm-hmm. very edible. Well, here's the other thing. It has been proven that wild wolves, even those in captivity, if they are able to, they will avoid humans. So everyone's like, oh, no, wolves attack. No, there has not been any cases of a healthy wolf attacking a person unless it was cornered or being attacked itself. In in the United States. In that, Canada, and that's where we are. Yeah, in Canada, and that's where the timber wolves are from. They're Canadian. They do get a few. And Euro- European wolves, oh, don't even go there. So they are more likely to keep away from people yeah. than they are to come in a, and, and leap on a boat. <laughs> Ah, this. So, hmm. Yeah. Let's see. This looks like a Stolyanov class uh, trawler, guys. There's probably, f- you know, humans up on the second deck. Roy, you here's take the, this deck. And-, and here's the other problem with that too. Wolves are exceedingly smart when they hunt. They have somebody in charge, and then they they don't sit there and just growl and show up. They have things flank. They have things sneak up. They are they're really good at working as a group. And these three are like. I don't know, three yeah. leftover football players from the local, you know, Pop Warner it, League. We're, we don't, it, we're spending too much time on this utterly yeah. pointless sequence, because the whole thing is silly. It, it's not necessary. It's like, um, weather isn't scary enough. We need something with teeth. We need an immediate yeah. physical threat, possibly to distract from the fact that in the next scene, they are going to be running away from air. You mean the point where they literally outrun the Ice Age? <laughs> yes, when, again, they hit the eye of the Superstorm, which is sucking in admittedly cold but not human-freezing, door-freezing, whatever levels of cold air, as we've said, and they are running down the corridor because, apparently, when cold air is drawn down, it draws down and then over and then chases you. Well, and then, how do they stop the cold from killing them? With the doors! <laughs> the power of doors! <laughs> the power of doors compel you! <laughs> they use the door. Yep. That's a deeper. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, if it's really that ding-dang cold, I'm not even sure you could get the books to light. Uh, yeah, if it was that cold, they would. I mean, because they're letting cold air down the chimney. Right. So it's minus 150. They do say that at one point, yeah. that it's minus 150. And they're burning books, and they're fine. <laughs> Literally fine. Yeah. I'm surprised they're not toasting marshmallows when, when Jake and crew come back in. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when uh, Jack and uh, Boron show up, <laughs> whatever his name was, Frank, uh, Frank I guess. No, Frank Jason. Jason, right. Yeah. Who, ca- who cares? Dash Mihawk. All I could think, they, they walk in, the, and there's the big emotional, you know, the father has, has kept his promise. He's found his son. And all I'm thinking of is, close the doors! <laughs> you are you are literally letting the only heat in all of New York City out. Close the door, <laughs> you idiot! And they just well, stand there with the doors wide open. Well, and because it's a major part of the plot, let's let's take a little step back here. So when the big storm comes and everything goes bad and yeah. stuff's really, really scary, what is Professor Dennis Quaid's plot? What is his plan? He's in D.C., by the way. He's not in Philadelphia. They no. drive to Philly. They drive to but, Philly. 
but his his initial idea is just I'm a walk to New York City. <laughs> I'm a walk in the most dangerous storm in the last ten thousand years, and I'm going to hike there because I have a parka, and I my parka will, will save me. <laughs> or as he discovers, fortunately, I will jump into this kitchen, and the stove will save me. Yeah, Wendy's. We will be saved by Wendy's. <laughs> Here's like they actually use real flame. <laughs> uh, they, they, they probably do. It's probably cheaper to yeah, use gas than probably. it is to use electric. Here's a question I have. So he he sees that things are bad, and they and the phone the magic phone call because mm-hmm. as Jake Gyllenhaal points out, the power in a payphone goes through the phone lines. True. I'm willing to bet at that point there's not a single line of any kind still working. No, they've all but, frozen, snapped, or whatever. But okay, sure. So he manages to call dad, and then the, the call cuts out because it is a rule. It's disaster movie rule number 27. I looked this up. Think Phone so. lines will go out at the most dramatic moments. Yep, right in, uh, the middle, right in the middle of a conversation, usually just before someone finishes saying, I love you, or... Yes, yeah. or Ian Holm has decided to die, one yeah, of the two. Yeah. And he says, literally, I'm a walk to Manhattan. Yeah. And my question is to this, to uh, Dr. Quaid, and do what? Yeah. yeah. You're not bringing firewood. No, like, you're not bringing any kind of heat source. You're, you you have like a sled, which you lose. Of, yeah. I mean, I guess they could eat Jason, but... Don't <laughs> <laughs> you all stop arguing and eat me. <laughs> like, Hi, I'm here. And even when the big rescue scene, when the, heli- when the helicopters, you know, ride of the Valkyries in and spot them... Where are they going? They look like they're walking out on the ocean. They're walking out to sea. I see. See for Catwoman. (laughs) At least when we find out there are other survivors in New York City. Yeah. They had the sense to be on top of the buildings. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Here's the other thing I had a problem with. They get to New York, and he's like, oh, no, we're, where is the library? Oh, we're standing on top of it. Oh, they've died. Um, Excuse me, they've been burning books apparently for days because time passes in this film in the yeah. most amazing ways. Yeah. Where's the plume of smoke that would obviously be coming out of the library? Or the billows of steam of the cold air, you know, reacting to the heat. Yeah. Where is that? Oh, um, it's with the breath from the actors that we... Left yeah, out. yeah, we forgot. Yeah, and of course, thank God, the whole museum is buried except for this little bit right here. Yeah, the the, the founders' room or whatever the heck it yeah. was, and you know, there's a slight message of one of the people that stayed is keeping a um, Gutenberg Bible. Yeah, because that's whatever. right. Because they're. Uh, I always, I actually admit, I thought that was kind of an interesting sequence where they're saying we have to, we have to stay alive, so we're going to burn the books, and several of them are like, you can't do that. You can't burn books. My, and, you know, I'm saying, like, you know these aren't the only copies of the U.S. tax code, right? Okay, the Gutenberg Bible, fine. I get that. There's like, what, five of those? I, I think there's more than you think, but the likelihood of it being easily accessible in the New York Library, probably yeah. not high. Yeah. If yeah. they have one. But, but it's an interesting thing. It's like, yeah, we're, we can't burn books you know, because, because we fetishize them. Right. Because they have this sort of totemic magic about them. And i that's the other thing I do like. At one point, one the intellectual snob is arguing. I don't know what, he, I don't think he has a name. He's arguing with a woman who doesn't have a name, mm. saying, you know, we can't burn Friedrich Nietzsche. And Brian pipes up from the floor with one of his last lines saying, 
guys, we got a whole sec- whole shelf of tax law here we can burn. Yeah, I and also they they make it look like there's only like so many books. It's the New York Public Library. They there have, are millions. Of they books have twenty four million volumes. They is the largest library in the country. Yeah, after the Library of Congress. Also, the problem I think that they're talking about burning books is it's the reason you burn books. Like there's you know history has shown people yeah. burn books because of the ideas within them, not As opposed so to they they're made of alive. paper and we don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wonder if the script was one. Oh, anyway. Oh. <laughs> um, we have some uh, talking points for this film. Yes, we film. do. So is the disaster... No. <laughs> See, you don't even have to finish the sentence. Is it believable? Come on. No, it isn't. At all. Next. If not... <laughs> Pull tab and get away. If not, is there something that could have been done to make it believable? No. Bubble. I'm, no. I'm sorry. This is unsalvageable. Unless, no, you know the one thing you could have done? Spread out the time scale. Mm. Make it Instead of the whole thing happens within a, a week. On Tuesday. Or, on Tuesday. <laughs> make it so that we see it happening over years. Yeah. That actually could have been kind of interesting, watching the social changes, watching the political arguments. In other words, the things that are really happening mm. here, now. Yeah. No, they're not. Oh, right. It Sorry, totally it's isn't. a myth. Yeah. Um, and then the third question, we actually started this a few uh, episodes ago and forgot to follow up. Huh? Does this movie pass the, if it's on, I'll watch it test? For if me, you're flipping through channels and it yeah. comes on, would you continue to watch it? Honestly, yes. <laughs> I yep. knew it. <laughs> yep, I will. We'll get to that later. Yeah. What about you? Um, I would say it would depend on when I tuned in. Because this film's pacing is really weird. It starts yeah. off pretty big. It blows its load in the first half of the film Ugh. and then slows down considerably. And so we're mostly dealing with just the people part afterwards which quite honestly not that interesting yeah so if it was the disaster part if i tuned in early enough to see the sharknado and the birdemic then colliding to make one big shark birdemic (laughs) no dado um i would probably sit for a while for that but honestly when it slows down i would probably turn away so i guess my overall answer would actually be no okay but other than that, I have gone through uh, um my notes how about you max i got one other thing just toward the end when uh, President, not Dick Cheney, is addressing people, it's like, okay, here is the part that tells me this is not Dick Cheney, because Dick Cheney would never admit he was wrong. Mm. That's yeah. it. Yeah, but of course, you know, big help at that point, right? Yeah. Oh, I was wrong. We got destroyed. So, well, I guess we should um, <laughs> yeah, wrap it up. get to the wrap-up where people will be surprised yeah. Wonder when I say... The finish. So, Max. Yeah. You saw this when it came out. I saw it in the theaters, yep. And what did you think at the time? I thought I thought the science was absurd. Yeah. I thought it was just the silliest idea, but I thought it was fun to watch. Okay. Because apart from, as you say, there are parts where it just drags. Yeah. The disaster porn parts of it are fun. I mean, I'm sorry, watching tornadoes form over Los Angeles, which I am told is physically impossible. There's a reason tornadoes don't form in cities. The heat of the city pushes them away. It's visually very cool. The flooding of New York is kind of, if not very convincing, the CG, even for 2004, that was not that impressive. 
but it does allow Jake to outrun a tidal wave. He does get to out. Yeah, amazing ways how people can outrun. It's like outrunning explosions. Yeah. Quick, uh, what, girlfriend, run. Okay. What about what about you? I so I did see it when it came out, and I remember walking. The only thing I remember is walking out somewhat disgusted, and the other thing I remember walking out was remembering is I can't believe Jake Gyllenhaal outran the Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, the running away from the cold. I, I it was just oh, it was come so on. dumb. It was so dumb. Yeah. Um. The thing is, watching this film again, actually, and I didn't ask you that, watching it again, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it now? Is your it opinion changed at all? It doesn't age well at all. It doesn't <laughs> it hold blue. up. Not And partly because, like, that set thing I, I had read and mentioned before, a lot of the things we've seen happen, that the, the movie suggests, have happened. Yeah. We've seen storms, like, we've seen super storms, we've seen once-in-a-lifetime weather events, and they don't do the things. Well, they are destructive, and they are horrible. And, and incredibly tragic, they aren't this. No. I, my feeling is that it, believe it or not, it wasn't as dumb as I remembered it being. Really? <laughs> I, okay. I must have remembered it being pretty dumb. You must dumb. have remembered some serious dumb. Yeah, and I think I just focused on that, oh my God, he outran the Ice Age. <laughs> like, I just couldn't get past, and the, the CG wolves, and the, and the, the this coincidence of things like you're saying luckily a russian trawler <laughs> literally washes by and then comes to a stop a by gentle the way, stop did you notice first off it's really lucky she's not allergic to penicillin because that's yeah, what they well. found and did you see them pick up a hypodermic uh i didn't see them pick up anything except one bottle which brian said yeah. look it says penicillin in it that's yeah it. apparently not in cyrillic yeah but we won't even he, talk about how all the supplies were lost when Frank cut the rope. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, and how they the hell were they staying alive? Their, well, you know, I don't know if you knew this, Max, but the insulation qualities of a very thin nylon tent uh-huh. are amazing. Wow. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> uh, didn't see those guys hugging in the tent. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's big and it's dumb. Um, and the it the way that the, well some things happen very quickly the climate change happens like that but then later on they tell us because otherwise we'd have no idea oh yeah that was days ago it, it was oh we, <laughs> yeah we, oh I'm uh, we've had days of food I, I haven't eaten anything different in days oh okay yeah because like, the lighting hasn't changed and there's literally nothing else to show a passage of they, time so when okay. they figure out that Laura's leg is hurt it's like yeah she mentioned. She cut her leg a few days ago. Yeah. It's been and a she few... Has okay. Also, I got to say, the penicillin isn't nice. Looking at that wound, um, do you have a saw? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that leg's rub, coming off. You might need that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, everyone's okay. And then the helicopters show up, because sure, uh, they've drawn a line at the... Well, they've drawn an imaginary Manson-Nixon line and said, basically, everyone above that screwed. Everyone to the south of that head for Mexico. Yeah. But then these ma- these these magic helicopters show up and take them um, south? to um, a place yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I, I assumed. Also, those helicopters have a hell of a range. Well, I not didn't... only that, but the, the British ones, thankfully, <laughs> whoo, boy, they crash-resistant. Yeah, they go straight <laughs> down, and they... And, they get to climb out of them and freeze. And yeah. that is also, I was a little disappointed, we don't actually get to see the royal family freeze to death. Oh, yeah. Because that, yeah. Uh, that yeah, happens off screen. That's an extra 20 bucks that so we can afford yeah. that. Yeah. So I guess we're both basically saying, 
as far as disaster porn movies, you could do better. Yeah, it's. I, I will say it's. It can be dopey, mindless fun. It's something to watch. There are certain scenes, like you say, if you see them on TV, and it's like the flooding of New York. That's fun to watch. That's the actual disaster stuff. That's entertaining. And sure, I'll watch that. But then they start talking, and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm supposed to start caring now. And nope, just not. Yeah, I and it's it's a weird balance, and Emmerich's done it better. We you talked about ID four. I really like the characters in that, and we yeah. see as much destruction in ID four as we do here. Um, the lasting effects are going to be a lot different because eventually somebody could sweep up the alien mess. And here it's like, oh yeah, the um, whole world about, is going to change. Yeah, basically anything north north of the Manson Nixon line is frozen and will be for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, so they. Po- they never. If they talk about, oh yes, this is a tragedy. Half the world is probably dead. Maybe more. Billions of people are dead. This is going to be a planetary trauma, and yeah. it's just like, no, no. We have hope in our hearts and a song on our lips and helicopters oh, and, in the air and America and America. Yeah. So. Because whatever. So, you know, turn your brain off and sure, yeah. maybe. It is not yeah. Emmerich's best film. It's not the best disaster porn. It's dumb. Um, yeah. It has a large club with the word climate change on it, and it smacks <laughs> bonk, you over bonk the head. on the head, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, I can't really recommend it, but sure. If if Max wants to, uh, if you're feeling stupid, fine. <laughs> That's about where I'll go. But we have a poll question that we would like to go over because that's far more intelligent than anything we've seen today. What's your favorite blue? No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite documentary film? Full length. Mm. Not not a short, a full length. I would just like to know. And And how can can they answer that? Hmm? Yeah. By emailing us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com. You can go directly to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a, leave a comment, or you can uh, find us on the one remaining social media network on Earth, Facebook, <laughs> under Max Mike Movies, and uh, answer us there. Yeah. And, of course, you can find us on the podcast app of anyone's choice. Yeah. I don't, but, think, I don't think we stop counting. We don't even know. Yeah. We have no idea. But even though we are starting to wind down disaster porn, we've got some disasters that are just porny enough to watch. What are we porning next week? Porn? Well, we're going to watch a dance film. Oh, fabulous. What? Yeah. Um, it has a very famous song. You may remember it goes a little like this. Burn, baby, burn. Oh. Towering inferno. Ah. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this is your... <laughs> devilishly clever way of telling us we're going to watch towering inferno very devilish and hey we're going to warn you ahead of time yeah this is a really hard film to find it is literally not streaming anywhere nowhere um we um i had to buy it (laughs) like an actual copy of the film mike Mike (laughs) bought a dvd off of ebay yeah and it turned out by the way to be the chinese ripoff no, it did Burn, not. Burning skyscraper. Yep, that's it. So that's <laughs> no. the closest we can get. It's the real film. But this is one of the big disaster films of the 70s that was, it wasn't the beginning of the trend. It was closer towards the end of the 70s yeah. trend of disaster. But it was a big one, and it had big stars. Like, wasn't Steve McQueen in it, I think? Yep, and Fred Astaire. Oh. And um, uh, I should warn you, this movie does contain trace amounts of O.J. Simpson. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to deal with that. So if you would like to burn, baby, burn don't next week with us. Don't stop doing that. <laughs> don't forget. 
towering inferno. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 